As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are back. It is time to do another recruiting edition of the podcast. It's been a little bit since we've kind of focused fully on just recruiting, but uh, there is a ton of news coming out right now around Tar Heel football on the 2024 recruiting trail. Carolina has landed two commitments here uh, in the course of the last few days. Uh, both guys, interestingly enough, coming out of the state of Tennessee, a, a state where Carolina has not really gone to traditionally, but seems to become, you know, to be one of those states that is developing in terms of Carolina's footprint and could be one of those teams that we'll hear Mac Brown talk more about uh, when it comes to future classes. So we'll talk about that. But we also have to talk about the quarterback position. There is a little bit of, I wouldn't say negativity. Um, I think it was two guys that Carolina probably knew going into the commitments that they weren't going to land. But it is two prospects at the position that Carolina had really high on their boards, uh, were really going after. And unfortunately, those two guys have committed elsewhere. So we'll talk about what that means for Carolina and where Carolina may have to go to try to get their 2024 um, quarterback. Uh, so first time in a while that we've done one of these. And so Zach Hubbard is back with us. And of course, Zach, uh, how you been, man? I know it's been a little bit here, but uh, we had, you know, with all this going on, I think it felt like the right time to sit down and start talking about uh, the 2024 class, which uh, the Tar Heels are really starting to turn the heat up on. 
Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you look overall at the football landscape, a lot of people treat this time of the year uh, really before, you know, spring games as sort of, um, you know, the doldrums of the off season before you get into the summer. But, you know, with recruiting, there's never really any downtime. It's always moving forward one class to the next. So we're sort of seeing that start to pick up here as, you know, guys are able to get out on the road, visit campuses, uh, specifically, you know, of course, Chapel Hill, and then, you know, guys go ahead and pull the trigger on their commitment. Yeah, and uh, the the last couple of weekends, Carolina has had guys on campus, and uh, it, it took a little bit. Normally, when you get have guys that end up committing on their visits, it'll come out pretty quickly. Um, well, Carolina, it, it's taken a little bit of time here, but uh, they now have two guys that were on campus last weekend that are committed. And we'll start with the one that went first, and that's Daniel Anderson, the edge rusher, out of the Memphis area, Germantown, Tennessee. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, he's a guy that Carolina jumped on late um, and became, you know, uh, uh, in his mind, uh, their fa- the, the favorite almost immediately. Um, he was actually offered uh, towards the end of uh, March uh, and, and actually then jumped on campus on March 25th. And since then, he is now committed to Carolina. He did so uh, on Thursday night. And so, you know, with, with him, uh, he he's one of those guys that's real interesting. He's an unranked prospect. We've seen this a lot here early on in the 2024 class. Uh, and, in, you know, the thing is, is that we've, you know, gone back and watched some of these guys. And so when we watch them, I think we, we see with a lot of these guys that they are going to be ranked prospects. It just takes time, especially – um, you know, when it comes to some of these sites, I don't know why, but this year more than any, it feels like they are really waiting to give grades out. And maybe that's a good thing. We've seen in the past guys that have been rated uh, way, way too early coming out of high school. And you'll see them drop from being, you know, even a five star off of a good freshman or sophomore year to being a three star. So maybe that's what is going on here. But Anderson is a guy that um, you know, 24-7 sports was waiting on after his commitment. They gave him a three-star rating. Um, so he isn't going to be a guy that's extremely highly ranked. Um, but I, I think you you could see when you turned on the film what Carolina liked about him. Um, and, and really, I think the thing that's important here is for Carolina, you've got to get guys in this room uh, at, at the edge rusher spot and try to figure out how you can develop certain guys. That's going to be one of the things they're going to have to do here with Anderson. Um, He's not going to be a perfect prospect coming in, but I think for Carolina, maybe this is more the mindset that you want to see from this coaching staff, identifying guys that they really like, that they feel like they can develop more so than just bringing in the talent and hoping that it fits what they do, which it feels like they've done the last few years. You know, Zach, when you, Watch Daniel Anderson. What 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 really stuck out to you uh, about him uh, as a prospect? And do you think he's a guy, as I said, that uh, could be you know in, in that mid three star range when it's all said and done? Yeah. Uh, in terms of Daniel Anderson specifically, uh, obviously, like you mentioned, they are being a little sort of forthcoming with rankings thus far with the 2024 class. But uh, sort of the things that I see from a measurable perspective that could sort of limit where he ends up uh, purely from a, 
you know, a ranking perspective is, you know, the height weight list right now at about 6'2", 245. You know, 6'2", for defensive lineman or edge rusher is considered somewhat on the smaller side. For an edge rusher specifically, that's getting a little bit small. Not sure on the wingspan. Looks fine on tape in terms of wingspan, but really that height is what you're looking at, you know, first and foremost. Um, 245, so sort of a, you know, a tweener there between um, either edge rusher or that power in spot um and you know unsure of where you know that weight's going to end up can he add significant weight to his frame is he going to end up being you know uh, or or is he going to stay where he's at and just sort of you know sort of mold that into muscle to stay at the edge rusher position um I, I think he you know projects well on either side whether you know edge rusher or uh power end and we've seen guys that sort of um you know could fit both of those spots just in in terms of an overall profile um, of where I think he'll end up and obviously not saying he's at this guy's level, but he reminds me a little bit of Kamon Rucker and sort of the same things that we're saying about Daniel Anderson uh, folks were saying about Kamon Rucker in terms of a little bit undersized uh, comparative to, you know, an NFL production, but obviously we've seen, you know, Rucker sort of blossom into this really, really solid college player. And I think that that could be uh, emphasis on could the projected path for Anderson. Uh, one more thing I would mention that would differentiate him from Kamon Rucker is um, if you turn on the film, there's a lot of times that he's rushing the passer from the interior. He's playing essentially, you know, a three tech position. He will sort of, you know, uh, bump out to the edge, but he's doing a lot of interior pass rush. And that's sort of, you know, where his skill shines is his ability to use his hands, his ability to shed blockers and, um, you know, get to the quarterback very quickly and move through space. So, you know, we, we, we see that obviously with uh, Rucker as well, not necessarily from sort of the interior from a three-tech position, but, you know, there's a lot of those similar aspects. So even though he is currently unranked and in terms of, and you know, at the end of the day, what his star rating is going to be, I, I, based on those measurables, I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a super, super high guy. But I think just based on what you see on the film, there's reasons to be excited and, you know, like you mentioned, um, specifically in this class, probably in classes moving forward, North Carolina really wants to focus on their development. Uh, they've had situations in the past few years where they've had, um, you know, they've had lower rated guys, they've had higher rated guys, and they've not really seen that development uh, from, you know, from everyone at all positions. So that's sort of what they're focusing on. And they've done a lot of that, you know, self-reflection here this offseason. If you listen to... Um, you know, Mac Brown in these first few spring practice press conferences, if you look at the hires that have been made this offseason, there is an added focus on um, sort of self-scouting, self-reflection, and making sure that they are, you know, developing uh, the best that they can. So, you know, I'm pretty optimistic of that, and I think that Daniel Anderson is a prime candidate to really be one of those developmental college guys moving forward once he gets into the college ranks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it, when you when you look at him, I think Cayman Rucker is a really, really good comparison. Not exactly the same type of guys, um, maybe a little bit. I mean, the, the interesting thing with Anderson when you watch him on film is that they play him inside a little bit at times. I now I don't think he is going to play inside at Carolina, but one of the things that's most interesting about what he does consistently on film is, you know, he, he very quick player at 6'2", 245, which is 
you know, actually pretty impressive because, you know, it's 6'2", 245, like you mentioned. 6'2", is a little bit shorter, um, especially nowadays when it comes to guys that play along the defensive line. Um, so 245, I mean, there's, there's you know, pretty good size on him overall. He'll have to put a little bit more on. Um, there's no doubt about that. But it depends on where he, where Carolina really wants to play him. I, I mean, it, the thing he does that's so impressive to me is he gets a great jump off the line of scrimmage nearly every time that he's rushing the passer. And when he does get that great jump, it seems like he is trying to beat guys to the inside. You will see a lot of guys that have speed at this level. They get real infatuated with beating guys around the edge. Um, they think that they just have enough speed. And look, for, for the majority of the teams that you face, if you are an elite level prospect, you are going to beat them around the edge with your speed. You're just you're you're too fast for some of these these offensive tackles, um, guys that are not going to play at the next level. Um, their their footwork, their lateral ability, not there to stay in front of you. But with Anderson, you don't see that obsession. And that's a good thing because when you get to the next level, you're not going to be able to beat a lot of these guys around the edge. There will be a few guys that you can. But for a guy like him, I mean, look, his speed is is really good, but it's not elite level or else he would be a guy that would already be ranked. So I like the fact that he has the mindset of trying to get inside on those tackles um, and really beat guys through um, you know, th those those interior gaps as opposed to trying to just simply beat guys with a speed around the edge. Um, I, I mean, that that was really the thing that that jumped off for me was just the combination of the speed and the jump on the ball. I thought he was also a really strong tackler when he would get into the backfield. Um, I thought his tackling technique was really, really good. He's a guy that wraps up. He's not somebody that's worried about just laying the big hit, trying to strip the football. Um, that's something that you'll you'll see other guys sort of get obsessed with, um, especially some of the other so, some of the higher rated prospects. They're looking to lay that big uh, that that big hit, but you just don't really see that with him. I think the thing that you wonder about with him, and it makes sense when it comes to his size is his physicality. He doesn't win a lot of reps by simply just manhandling guys and pushing them back. Um, you don't really see that. A lot of technical pass rushing from him. Um, and look, that's that's still something that you can be very successful with. But I think one of the things that Carolina really wants moving forward is to have guys that can play with that physical edge. So it'll be interesting to see, is that something that, you know, right now he just doesn't play with because he is undersized? Is that something that you could eventually bring out in him? Or is this a guy that you do have to sort of continue to work on fine-tuning those technical pass skills um, and making him one of those guys that can simply win off of technique? I mean, look, the thing – to know here is that he is going to be a developmental prospect. It's very hard to see him probably coming in and making an immediate impact. But as you mentioned, you mentioned a guy like Cayman Rucker. We didn't think that he would come in and make an immediate impact. And right now in this room, the defensive line room still has so many questions. Um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, they, they do have, you know, a couple of 
different minds in that room now as opposed to just Tim Cross. Um, they did hire uh, Ted uh, Minaccio, who's who, who, who's now in there and uh, is is bringing some some different ideas to the table. Uh, being a former uh, NFL defensive line coach, so I, I think that's that's something that you really wonder, especially with this being a recent offer. Uh, is that part of you know the the turn of the mindset for that defensive line room. Um, and do they just view this guy as someone that fits what the system is that they want to run and that they are willing to develop moving forward? I think uh, that's that's the way you probably look at this. And, uh, I mean, I wrote this in the article, and I think it's the best way to describe them. This is a really solid, high upside pick. This is a guy that I think, you know, if you bring him in and right now currently as an unranked prospect, he doesn't really make an impact for you. First of all, in the new era of college football, he's probably not going to stick around. He'll probably enter the transfer portal. But if this is a guy that you bring in, he fits your system that well and you are able to develop him. This is a guy that could play a big role for your defense in future years. I just, I, I like the mindset from him. Um, the other thing, I, I didn't really mention it when talking about him just a minute ago. Dude dude is playing with a high motor at all times. It doesn't seem to play take plays off, which is a concern at times with defensive linemen. So it feels like that's a guy that's coachable. And so I like that a lot about Anderson and think this is a really underrated pickup for Carolina. Well, you go from the commitment on the defensive line to the team's third commitment on the offensive line. And again, it comes out of the state of Tennessee. This time you go from the one big city in the state in Memphis over to the other big city in the state in Nashville. And they get 2024 three-star offensive tackle Luke Masterson out of Franklin Road Academy in Nashville. And so when you look at him, guy that was – you know, being recruited uh, by, you know, other ACC teams were really the ones that were in the running for him. He was scheduled to take a uh, visit this weekend to Duke, also expected to take a visit to TCU, although that is, I feel like, more related to the fact that he does have a sister that goes there. Don't really know if TCU was a team that was even going after him at this point. Um, but, you know, this is another guy that, is probably going to be a developmental guy. Is ranked, as I mentioned, as a three-star, um, but does, uh, again, have you know some size issues that will probably have to be worked on when he immediately gets to campus. I know this one's rather recent here, Zach, but when you look at Luke Masterson, a three-star prospect, and really just the makeup of this offensive line class so far, um, you know, uh, what do you think about this addition? Yeah, I think it's another uh, pretty good addition. And similar to Daniel Anderson, it's one where, um, you know, you are making a projection on your development. Like you mentioned, uh, does have a little bit of size concerns right now, about 270, 275. So it is going to need to, you know, add mass, add weight to his size in order to be able to play at a college level. But um is already 6'6", and when you turn on the film, he looks, you know, pretty good at left tackle. He moves pretty well in space, 
uh, don't see a ton of pass pr uh, protection, which is pretty standard for high school film. And, you know, as we've sort of mentioned with any off offensive line prospect on their film, it it's going to be limited because offenses are pretty different at the high school level. And, you know, you're just sort of looking for traits. You're looking for things that you can project and, you know, work upon. Um, and I think that there's a good, you know, base here that's just going to need some time to develop. Um when you look at the offensive line class as a whole, uh, North Carolina in 2024 wants to basically take a whole offensive line. Now, I don't know if that necessarily means that they're going to try to take two tackles, two guards in the center, but um, that would make sense. Obviously, when you look at the team overall heading into 2023, there's a lot of guys on the roster that have come back from 2022 uh, have brought in, you know, transfers either multi-year and a guy like Spencer Rowland or uh, a new guy this year in Willie Lampkin. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that are going to be, you know, either, uh, you know, fifth, even sixth year seniors, fourth year seniors, you know, guys that are not going to be here this time, um, you know, when, when the next draft comes around or, you know, if they just graduate. So, um, they are going to need to restock this room, and they're trying to do that thus far in 2024. Uh, we're, we're sort of seeing, you know, the impact already of new offensive line coach Randy Clements. He is scouting these guys. He's making these offers, and he's, you know, he's ready to take them. Like you mentioned, this is the third offensive line commit, and it's only – you know, here today, April the 1st. So they've already started to sort of, they're preparing to build this class out now. They're not waiting on guys. They're not, you know, waiting uh, and sort of holding anything back. If they have a guy that they like and they think they can develop, they're going ahead and, you know, pushing that button, which is pretty consistent with, you know, how Matt Brown likes to recruit in general and then just sort of is echoed by Randy Clement. So I, I, I like, pretty much all these guys thus far in terms of the offensive line class. It, it is sort of a, an idea of they are looking to be more developmental in terms of how they get these guys. But that's that's likely going to be, you know, sort of the mindset for North Carolina moving forward is um, they want to be more developmental regardless of, you know, the ranking that you see on a lot of these guys. And, you know, they want to do well in the transfer portal. That's sort of the the niche that they want to fit in in terms of what they can do uh, in, in team construction. So I think it's a good pickup overall. I think it fits with sort of the mindset of Mac Brown and Randy Clements. And um, I think not only for this offensive line, but for this class overall, they're really, you know, picking their spots and going ahead and moving forward with, you know, getting these guys to commit. Yeah, as you mentioned, I think what you're going to see is pretty much a full offensive line class. I mean, that's that's exactly what it looks like this staff is trying to do. And it makes sense because, you know, one of the most concerning things in my mind about this upcoming team in 2023 is the fact that this offensive line is pretty much staying completely intact from not only last year. I mean, Corey Gaynor wasn't there two years ago, um, but outside of him and Spencer Rollin, this this unit is staying together once again. It's it's really you're you're looking at Ed Montalis, William Barnes, um, Jonathan Adorno is going to be there. Those are the guys that are once again going to be counted on. And you know, I, I with with Adorno, I'm not. With, with him, I don't really know where I'm at. We haven't seen him as a full-time starter 
The other guys, I, I kind of know where I'm at. I liked Corey Gaynor coming back. I thought he did some really good things last year. Um, and I think a second year in Chapel Hill may actually help him to even expand upon what he did a year ago. But I'm I'm concerned about the rest of the unit. You know, Spencer Rolland allowed a ton of pressure a year ago on the quarterback. Um, and, and that's going to be something that's going to be hard to iron out. And then you look at Ed Montalis, same thing. And William Barnes is actually making the move out to left tackle, despite struggling at right guard. So they're using that old guard, but... The hope is that this will be the final year for all those guys. Gaynor is in his final year of eligibility regardless. We know Spencer Rolland is, I, I mean, he may be able to come back because they did miss a full year at the Ivy League level. Um, but I don't know at this point if Carolina, if he struggles the way that he did last year, who knows if Carolina is going to want him back. Uh, Ed Montalis, you know, he, of course, was actually toying with the idea of potentially not coming back um, and playing this year, actually stepped away from the team for a little bit of time, but now is back. Um, and then William Barnes is a graduate. So all those guys are upperclassmen um, or or are on their final year of eligibility. Jonathan Adorno is an upperclassman. And then it's going to be them counting on a lot of younger guys that have not played. And it's going to be a significant blow to the depth, but it's also going to create really wide open battles at just about every position. And look, the team's going to go into the transfer portal to find guys. That's just the name of the game, especially when you have position groups that get, um, you know, torn apart by the draft, by transfers themselves, or in this case, by graduation. But at the same time, this staff is trying to bring in guys straight out of high school that they can identify, fit their scheme, and can be developed because they want to have those guys in the system for a few years moving forward. Um, it, you know, the thing is, is that I, I think it's like you said, you know, so far we've seen three guys commit to this room. That's the most of any room on this, uh, you know, currently in this class. And it's with a guy that's a first, that, that's a first year position coach that came in just a few months ago. And he already is doing, you know, is identifying guys that that he wants and is doing what we didn't see some of the previous offensive line coaches be able to do, which was to keep this room stocked up. The thing is, is, you know, with all these guys, they are developmental guys. I think it really, if you're looking for sort of a comparison where Carolina has done this at another position group. I think this past year's class at corner is probably very similar. They're guys that when you watch them, you're saying to yourself, they are not immediately coming in and making an impact just yet. Who knows? Carolina could add, some, you know, a guy or two on the offensive line that does fit that role um, of somebody that can make an immediate impact. But these are guys that they feel like over time are going to be able to contribute to this offensive line unit. And so I, I you know, with, when it comes to Masterson himself, I think, you know, he's probably the guy that needs to be developed the most out of the three. The thing that concerns me a little bit about him is that you don't see him really play with any sort of mean streak. And again, it goes back to what I talked about on, you know, when we were talking about Anderson and the defensive line. 
Carolina wants these guys that bring the physical edge. They haven't had a bunch of those guys here recently, and I think it's really hurt them that, you know, there, there are teams that simply just out-muscle them. We've seen it, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball at times. But I think one of the things that gets discounted a lot because we're just talking about how this team pass protects is that Carolina's offensive line has been bullied at times, yes, in pass protection, but also in the run game. And one of the things that Mac Brown has talked about this off this offseason is Carolina not sticking with the run long enough. And part of that is that they just don't have the physicality uh, to push guys out of the way and really encourage the Phil Longo and, and this offense to continue to run the football. It gets them in a, in a situation where they feel like throwing the football is their only way to move the ball down the field. So that concerns me a little bit about Anderson, that he's not the most physical guy. Uh, maybe that's something that he develops along the way, especially if he does put on a little more weight. But the thing that I really like about him is his ability to pass protect. I thought watching him, and his film is very, very limited. That's the thing about him. Uh, there's, there's not as much on him as there are on some of the other guys around the country. Um, and even in this class, but he's a guy that I thought did a really good job of moving laterally, of staying in front of even quicker edge rushers. And that's something that Carolina sorely needs right now is, is guys that can pass protect at a high level and do so for a full season. That's been one of the issues they've had. You know, you go back to this past year, this team, for the most part, pass protected, you know, on an average level for the first nine games of the season. Everything really started to fall apart against Wake Forest, but Carolina won that game. And I feel like the mindset in that room was, hey, we didn't pass protect well on that game, but we still won. And you saw from there, everything went downhill. So getting these guys in here that are pass pro specialists, I think, or a key, if you combine them with guys that can play physical, that can really dominate you know, the, the opponent in the trenches, especially on the interior of that offensive line, and allow this team to run the ball. And so far, I think that's what they've got. You've got a guy in Masterson that really looks like that pass pro specialist that's got to add the add the weight, um, that's got to be, maybe become a little more physical, but he's got the athleticism, um, you know, to stay in front of quicker edge rushers on the outside. Then you go to Desmond Jackson on the interior of the offensive line, extremely physical bulldozer type of guy that will just simply run straight through um, in, you know, interior offensive lineman, which is incredibly impressive. Um, and that's what you want to see him. Biggest question is how well can he pass protect? He hadn't, didn't have to do it a lot at the high school level. And then you've got Andrew Rosinski, who I think is kind of a guy that's, it, it, you know, a, a good combination of both. I think he's a good pass protector. You see some really good things from him in run blocking situations as well. Biggest thing for him is the size. So Carolina's got, you know, three really interesting guys along this offensive line so far. Randy Clements is doing a tremendous job. Now it's about can they bring in another guy or two that can maybe give them a little bit of that star power um, that, that, 
will allow them to, you know, get guys that can be immediate impact guys, or is this a position group where they'll bring in this class and then they'll have to go and find guys in the transfer portal uh, that can help them here in the next couple of years. So that is your look at the two guys that have committed to Carolina in the past few days. When we come back, guys, it's time to talk about the quarterbacks, two guys that did not commit to Carolina. What do the Tar Heels do now that they don't have those commitments? Stick around for that on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcasts, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter, at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubbard 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back into the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, along with Zach Hubbard here, as we are talking about some of the big news stories on the 2024 recruiting trail. And uh, you know, one of those big stories on the 2024 trail that Carolina is going uh, to be hearing about here, at least for uh, the next few weeks, is the fact that two of their top quarterback targets are now off the board. Um, you had, you know, Thursday, early in the afternoon, Jake Merklinger, um, he announced his commitment to Tennessee over the Tar Heels, Michigan State, um, as well as a couple of others. And then you had Jaden Davis, the big fish in the state of North Carolina. We knew that he had been tied to Michigan for a while. Carolina made a push there when Jim Harbaugh was flirting with the NFL. Some wondered if that was enough to get the Tar Heels back in the thick of that race. But he took an an unofficial visit uh, back on March 18th. And when when he announced last Friday his final five and his commitment date uh, being yesterday, Friday, March 31st, you knew that this was not going the way of the Tar Heels, unfortunately. And he does, in fact, commit to Michigan uh, in his commitment yesterday on SportsCenter. So now, really, the Tar Heels' top two quarterback targets in this class are off the board. You know, first, Zach, what do you make of these two guys going elsewhere? I mean, I don't feel like you were probably shocked because we knew that this was going to happen. I know there are a lot of people that are not happy about the fact that they missed out on an in-state prospect, but I got to be honest, I don't feel like this is a lot of this is really on the Tar Heels. I think this is just two guys that really fell in love with two other locations um, and, and it didn't go the way that Mac Brown and his staff were hoping for. 
Yeah, like you mentioned, a little disappointing, but not super, super surprising. Uh, with Davis specifically, like you mentioned, there are some people that are, I guess, disappointed that it's a in-state guy that decided to go elsewhere. But, um, you know, for the longest time, at least for me personally, um, I didn't really see the Tar Heels as super, super involved here. Obviously got him on campus uh, a time or two here in the winter and early spring, but obviously that was not enough to um, stave off the pursuit of Michigan. And I mean, when you look at a school like Michigan, this is a program and a team that's been to two straight playoffs. It's not exactly surprising that they would be able to, you know, up their recruiting and, and pull in a top quarterback, even from sort of outside their traditional recruiting territory, had great relationships there at Michigan. So, you know, that just sort of is what it is. Um, with uh, Jake Merlinger specifically, um, that one was hard to really get a gauge on of where North Carolina set. You thought they were in a good spot alongside Tennessee and Michigan State, but um, that one sort of felt to me like one that, you know, the, needed more information to really get a, a sense of where Carolina stood. And, you know, with the recruitment ending here, in the spring, uh, it, it would appear, obviously, that, you know, they were not the choice. It was Tennessee, um, even with uh, Tennessee bringing in a um, five-star quarterback last season. You know, they've shown uh, within the past two years that, you know, they are a, um, you know, an exciting offensive product similar to what we've seen from North Carolina. Um, and, you know, that's going to be attractive for quarterbacks. Um, on the whole, you know, not really a huge question, but at least somewhat of a question for the Tar Heels is what is this offense going to look like? Uh, I mean, when you listen to Mac Brown, he, he sort of has stated, you know, we're not going to change a whole bunch on offense. We are going to have a little bit more of a focus on that run game uh, with new offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey. But, you know, when you look at it just as a whole, uh, Chip Lindsey is a guy that ha has been around but doesn't have a, a huge national identity similar to what uh, Phil Longo has um, and does come from somewhat of a different, um, you know, offensive tree uh, where, you know, Long was more of that air raid style. Um, Chip Lindsay more so out of the Gus Malzahn sort of school of offense. So I, I think there is at least some trepidation or, or at least some questions probably that quarterbacks have of what's this offense going to look like. Uh, but with these two guys specifically, I, I think that they're their own situation and um, that they're guys that, you know, just had different things that they were looking for at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I think weirdly enough for me, the one that is more frustrating, I guess it's not anything towards the Tar Heels, I think is, Merklinger because you felt like they were in a really good spot after he took his visit back on March 4th and before then I mean his his recruitment was a little bit quieter than some of the other guys so I guess maybe Tennessee was in a pretty good spot and he didn't really know it really felt like after the Tar Heels had him on campus that they were probably the favorite for him um, and you would have thought, okay, maybe some of these other schools like Michigan State, like Tennessee, would you know put up strong showings, and it could be one of those things that that goes for a little bit before he makes his decision. Could have allowed Carolina to potentially get him on campus for an official visit in the summer. Um, if not that, then at least get him back on for an unofficial visit. That's where I think it really it really stings a little bit because it felt like the Tar Heels had done a really good job with him. Chip Lindsey 
Uh, you know, there there was an article written by Don Callahan of, of Inside Carolina that said that uh, they had established a really good relationship, um, you know, him and him and Chip. So that's the, I definitely think that's one that you really wish Carolina maybe had a little bit more time on. Now, I think, you know, just you got to give the credit to Josh Heupel and his staff. And it makes sense. Look, they they are producing a guy that's going to the NFL this year. I mean, look, Carolina's got Drake May that'll be going next year. They, of course, had Sam Howell that went last year. Um, but I think, you know, that that offense you saw it this past year was incredibly exciting. It doesn't look like that is an offense that's going to be changing anytime soon, where this is an offense that you can't really – fall back on anything you can't say look at what the offense looked like last year because that was Phil Longo's system the, the offense may look similar again this year but that's because Chip Lindsay says he's kind of adjusting to the strength of a special quarterback like Drake May so you would imagine that moving forward the offense will look a little bit more like what Chip Lindsay wants if you're trying to look at what Chip Lindsey's offenses did la- offense did last year and has done it, the, what his offenses have done in the past, it's kind of a tricky thing to do because you know at Central Florida he had the play calling duties, then got him stripped from him by Gus Malzahn, and the same thing when he was at Auburn with Gus Malzahn. And that the question is is you know how how involved was he really in the play calling after he got those play calling duties taken away? Was that really more just about the title? Um, was that to try to inspire you know teams to to perform a little bit better, or was he really taken off of play calling duties because Gus Malzahn felt that he struggled that much? So for quarterbacks, I think it's kind of tough to evaluate Chip Lindsey as a play caller and really feel confident about committing to him at this point. So that's something that Carolina has to manage going forward, as opposed to a school like Tennessee, which has some stability um, and, and, and really people think can build off of what they did a year ago. And then when you go to Jaden Davis, you know, what Michigan brings to the table is, is exactly what you said. They are a team that a lot of people around the country probably like to laugh about, you know, especially after they're showing in the college football playoff this past year. But look, it's a team that's made it to the biggest stage in the sport in each of the last two seasons. And they've done it with quarterbacks that a lot of people feel like are not nearly the level that uh, of talent that you're seeing at Alabama, at Georgia, uh, even at Ohio state. So that's the thing that I think people are wondering about Michigan is if they get this big time quarterback in there, can they finally get over the hump and at least make it to the national championship game, if not potentially win one? Jaden Davis probably feels like he can be that guy. You would imagine that's what the Michigan staff has been selling him on the whole time. The thing that's that's for for him that's honestly a little weird, you're not going to get him – to flip his commitment. That is not happening. He is going to be a guy that will sign his letter of intent with Michigan. The thing that'll be interesting though, is that Jim Harbaugh's flirtation with the NFL is not going away anytime soon. Um, I work for a radio station here in Charlotte, WFNZ. um, And we have, you know, been we had a, a portion of time where it looked like the Panthers could potentially be, you know, 
interested in Jim Harbaugh. It turned out that was not the case. Harbaugh was more interested in the job um, than vice versa. Um, but during that time, we did have a couple of guests that came on and talked about Jim Harbaugh. And I don't remember the the person that came on to talk about him. It was, I believe, a Michigan writer, if I'm remembering correctly. And he said that this has been one of the goals of Jim Harbaugh for a long time, is to get back to the NFL level and win a Super Bowl because he feels like when he faced his brother and lost, um, he, that was one that sort of escaped him a little bit. He felt like he should have won the Super Bowl that year, and he's wanted to get back to that stage and win a Super Bowl at some point in his coaching career. So the question with, for Jaden Davis and a lot of guys that commit to Michigan right now has to be, is Jim Harbaugh going to be here long term? And if he's not, what is the plan after that? So you never really know. That's one that Carolina, you know, especially if they are able to land a guy or two from Providence Day in this class, which there are four guys in this class that are incredibly well-known that have been on campus multiple times. There are other guys that will probably emerge this year um, that could, you know, be a part of this year's class, the 25 class where they do have a guy in offensive tackle, David Sanders, who's a five-star that Carolina will be pushing hard for as well. You never really know if they can keep connections to him, especially in the modern era where you have guys that are going to be talking to their high school teammates and everything like that. Um, if there is an opening, we'll be trying to convince them to come play there. Carolina could be a team that ultimately Jaden Davis eventually lands with. Although, you know, that's something, of course, we don't really wish for that to happen. Um, we want him to, of course, have success out there in Michigan, but it's something to always keep in the back of your mind just in case. Um, you know, that that is something that pops up later on. But in terms of where they go right now for the 24 class, you know, I've seen some people, Zach, that have said, you know, maybe Carolina just doesn't take on a quarterback in the 24 class. I feel like quarterback has become one of those positions where every single year you have to bring in a guy, especially, you know, with the uncertainty that Carolina has after Drake May. And look, they, they've got Connor Harrell. Tad Hudson, those two guys actually are going to battle it out for the backup quarterback job this year, sort of set the stage for next year. If Drake May does leave, which at this point looks like it's probably inevitable. But outside of that, you don't really have much left in that room. You've got Jefferson Boaz, who's there for a little bit of depth, but he's an upperclassman starting this year. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, if you do lose one of those two guys that loses the backup quarterback job, you could have yourself in a situation where you don't have much depth at the position, which we saw under Larry Fedora at the end. I think it's important for Carolina to get a commitment in this class. And I think now their their attention really has to turn to three-star KJ Jackson, a guy that they've been on for a while, but a guy that they could be in for a little bit of a fight uh, with uh, Arkansas to land his commitment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just look at college football overall, uh, the quarterback position specifically, um, the portal is always going to be 
you know, sort of in the back of your mind, both for guys on your team and guys elsewhere. So, you know, like you mentioned, there's certainly, you know, wish no wish that, um, you know, Jaden Davis does not have success at Michigan, but, you know, for whatever reason, things don't work out or, you know, that Jim Harbaugh leaves or whatever happens, you know, you have that relationship there. So, you know, you always got to keep that in the back of your mind. And then, you know, with the guys that are already on campus and that are going to be on campus, um, you know, quarterback at every position in the country, specifically in the power five is a position where you're going to have guys transfer out. So, you know, in, in my mind and in the, in the minds of others, getting a quarterback basically every year is almost a requirement just so that you, you know, have enough guys there in any given year that you are promoting competition and because you sort of have that mindset of transfers are going to be baked in. I mean, if, you know, depending on who wins this backup job, Connor Harrell, Tan Hudson, we don't, I don't foresee there being someone that transfers out, you know, immediately or the off season after that. But, you know, that's something that you just have to keep in your mind is that, you know, whoever does not win a job is going to want to play. You can only have one quarterback playing on the field at a time. So it's the position where you're going to see the most movement. Um, so, you know, it is going to be imperative, at least in my mind, that they get somebody in, um, not necessarily that you just take whoever, but that you, you know, you go out and find a good quarterback and, you know, sign them in the 24 class and then in the 25 class and, you know, on in perpetuity moving forward. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's just become one of those positions. And in years past, you could probably get away with it. But with the transfer portal, I feel like it is imperative that Carolina gets a quarterback each year. And as I mentioned, now it feels like the attention turns fully to K.J. Jackson in this class. And Carolina, you know, they just hosted him for a visit. Um, he, he is seen as one of those guys that um, Carolina is in really good standing with. Uh, he said, you know, Don Callahan of uh, Inside Carolina, the headline on the article that he wrote about his visit this past weekend uh, was that he is, quote, definitely up there. So, or Carolina is definitely up there for him, I should say. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, he's kind of been, bouncing back and forth you know Arkansas is a spot where he has visited um you know here recently and he he's a guy that it feels like they are starting to value a lot in this class as well as of right now it seems like that is the biggest threat to Carolina and he's a guy that's from the state of Alabama now the thing is is that look Carolina has had some success there here recently that's where they got Connor Harrell from so I think Carolina is in good standing here. But again, you don't have the stability that you have in Arkansas right now at Carolina in terms of the offensive play caller. Chip Lindsey is, a, is, is, as I said, a guy that people are probably trying to still figure out what exactly his system is going to be. Because this year it's supposed to be a hybrid of the two, uh, of the two systems. Um, and then, you know, from there, what will it be? So I wonder if that is going to factor in in this decision. But look, Carolina, they've won a battle against Arkansas before, actually won one for one of their in-state guys in Jacoby Criswell. Now, Jacoby Criswell is, of course, there. Uh, but that was due to the fact that Drake May beat him out last year. So I, I think Carolina 
they, they probably feel pretty confident, but they, they, I think they have to have a couple of backup plans on the table. And yesterday they did end up offering a guy from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, James uh, Reeser, um, who is committed currently to, uh, to Iowa. You know, this is one where Carolina jumping in here late with a guy that's already committed uh, is interesting. I don't really know how much Carolina is going to um, be able to change his mind. Now, the good thing is, is that Carolina's offense, I mean, look, Iowa's offense is pretty much unlike any other in the country. Iowa's an, an offense that is stuck um, back in the 90s at this point, uh, that that they've been, you know, one of the laughing stocks of the country for the fact that they can't really move the football all that well. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, this is a guy that probably feels like he fits their system pretty well. It will be interesting to see if Carolina, the Carolina's offer um, results in them getting him on campus. You would imagine at some point, just, you know, from just common interests, he would be a guy that would probably try to get to campus uh, and check it out. I just don't really know. Is he a guy that Carolina is going to be able to flip that commitment from? I think another guy though, that you need to keep an eye on. And they haven't offered him yet. And it's probably, at this point, I wonder, you know, if Carolina is is done at the position um, or, you know, in terms of offers or um, if they are still really just in the evaluation process. I think that might be where they're at, is that they're still evaluating guys. I think one guy to keep an eye on here is Cedric Bailey. Uh, who is, uh, you know, the quarterback uh, that is committed to NC State's class right now. And some people may be saying, well, you're just, you know, you're saying that we're trying to steal away a commitment from uh, NC State in this class. I, yes, that is, that is of course, true. You do want, if you can take away a guy that's committed to their class and it helps you, you'd love that. The biggest thing when it comes to Bailey, though, is that, one has the size that Carolina likes in their quarterbacks. They've typically gone for the quarterbacks that are bigger in stature. He's six, six and a half, 185, a little bit thin, but still pretty good size on him. The thing that's interesting about him that I think Carolina could really consider here is that he goes to the same high school as Davian Gauss, who is committed to the Tar Heels class at running back. Shamanah Madonna Prep in Hollywood, Florida. That's a spot that they will be at clearly a lot to try to get a look at Gauss. And you really do wonder that, I mean, clearly they've probably evaluated him at this point. Um, so it, maybe they don't feel like he is a guy that they're willing to pop an offer on, but you really do wonder the more and more that they're looking at Gauss and watching some of his tape and everything like that, is Bailey a guy that sort of starts to stand out to them? And they say, hey, look, he he might fit what we want here. I would really keep an eye on him in this class moving forward. And those guys, all three of the guys that we mentioned there, they are three-star prospects. And so I know that this is another talking point that I've seen, Zach, and I'm really interested to to hear what you think about this. There is a concern that Carolina is no longer going to be able to bring in the elite quarterbacks because of the fact that Phil Longo 
is not here anymore and that it is Chip Lindsey. When it comes to that thought, how concerned are you about that? I, I just, to me, it's, it's, I don't know if it's something we can be that concerned about just yet until we actually see how Chip Lindsey and, and the rest of this staff are able to, you know, help Drake May this upcoming season. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's a moderate concern at the moment. Like we have mentioned, you know, we don't know what this offense is going to look at once Drake May is gone. But in terms of, you know, the quarterbacks that they have gotten, you sort of have to view them as individual situations. Uh, obviously, Phil Longo was important in getting these guys in. But you look at, you know, the two guys that we're sort of discussing here, Sam Howell and Drake May. Sam Howell, you get, you know, sort of as – Florida State is sort of moving backwards. Obviously, Walt Bell left them. That allowed the Tar Heels to swoop in and get Sam Howell and Drake May, you know, a, a multi-time over legacy that they were able to uh, get or, or sort of flip from Alabama, get the decommit and then commit to them. But, you know, this is a guy that, you know, in retrospect, seems like was always going to go to the Tar Heels, really, regardless of who the coordinator is. So obviously, you know, Phil, Phil Longo was influential in getting these guys on campus. You can't really deny that. But these are specific situations. It was not the only factor involved here. So I think that that is something that you have to keep in mind um, alongside sort of the quarterbacks that they've got now. You know, it is going to be a point of concern moving forward. We don't know how they're going to um, – we don't know what this offense is going to look like, plain and simple, you know, like I mentioned. So not only do we not know if it's going to be appealing to quarterbacks, I think on the flip side, it's unclear how much the quarterback is going to be asked to do in comparison to previous teams. I mean, with Sam Howell and Drake May, they've been asked to shoulder – a lot of the load, not only because um, of issues with the offensive line and in run blocking, but also with just the defense overall. I mean, these have been discussion points for, you know, Tar Heel fans and, and people like us that uh, review these things of, you know, the quarterback has been asked to do a lot. I mean, you look at the last year of Sam Howell and Drake May, not only were they asked to be, you know, sort of the engines of the passing offense, but both of those guys did a lot of running themselves in terms of that. So they were, you know, the key engine of this offense. If you can get, you know, the defense a little bit better, if you can get a little bit more out of, you know, your offensive line and your running backs and running the football, well, that takes a lot of pressure off of what you're asking your quarterback to do. So I think it's at least a, um, you know, a moderate concern at this point, but I, I think there's sort of flip side arguments here of, you know, how much is it going to be that you need to have this transcendent quarterback in order for your team to function? Well, it might not be that case moving forward. Um, and then again, you know, like we've mentioned throughout, um, this is a program that wants to be a little bit more developmental. So, you know, you can get some guys that are maybe, you know, mid-range three stars. And once they're, you know, a, a redshirt sophomore or junior, they're ready to go. They know the system, even if they're not a high-end um you know, NFL draft pick, they're a guy that can run the offense and make winning football plays and be successful at North Carolina. So I, I would say just to, you know, 
not panic as of yet, just to be patient and then sort of, you know, see how this team and this program progresses because, you know, quarterback is often seen as the most important position, but it's just one position. There are, you know, there's movement and there's decisions and, you know, victories and losses being made in the other rooms that have to be, you know, that have to be watched um, in order to see, you know, what is the makeup of this team uh, moving forward beyond sort of the Sam Howell and Drake May era. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I get what you're saying. I know look, the thing is, is that the quarterback position is is clearly the most important position on the field. If you don't have the quarterback in the modern era that can make the plays for you, you are not going to win many games. And Carolina found that out the hard way in 2017 and 2018 they simply did not have the quarterback play and that's what that's what basically led to Larry Fedora getting fired now there were definitely some other things that were involved with that but if Carolina had a quarterback that could win them games he probably would have lasted a little bit longer that's winning cures everything um so I I mean I I don't think that you should panic right now with this room um, this class, like I said, you want to get somebody in this class because you're you're just trying to keep the depth in the program. And here's the thing. We could literally be sitting down a week from now talking about this class having their quarterback commit in K.J. Jackson. Um, so I, I think that's the thing where you've got to sort of hold off. Now, if they miss on K.J. Jackson and – Reeser is their only guy that they offer outside of him, then there might be a little a little bit of concern. But even then, you know, I think the thing is, you know, for this group moving forward, the, the staff is going to have to really sell that there are some elements of the old system that are still going to be around. And look, when it comes to the passing game, I think there will still be a lot of those elements there. Remember that you do now have passing and run game coordinators. And Lonnie Galloway is the passing game coordinator. He was a guy that did some really good things under Phil Longo. Definitely deserved to be a part of the play calling. And so you imagine that a lot of those things that worked these last few years under Sam Howell, and Drake May are still going to be big parts of what this offense does. And the other thing that Lonnie Galloway has done is he has done a great job of developing this wide receiving core. Um, they have been one of the better receiving cores in all of college football these last few years. And from what we've heard coming out of camp, this group looks like it's going to be another really, really strong one with Kobe Pesor. Uh, Gavin Blackwell is guys that are holdovers from last year's roster. And then transfers like Devontae Walker and Nate McCollum, two guys that were widely regarded as top 10 wide receivers in the transfer portal. So Carolina still has the pull at the wide receiver position. Now you may say, look, is that just Drake May? We'll have to find out. But I think that you are still going to see Carolina recruit the quarterback position extremely well. I, I I find it hard to believe that this team is going to completely drop off a cliff on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm going to be honest with you. If they do, they will probably have no choice 
but to make a quick decision on the job status of Chip Lindsey. They will need to bring in an offensive mind that can help this team move the ball up and down the field because as we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, that's not a unit that you're probably feeling confident in relying in anytime soon. So I think it's way too early to panic just yet. Um, these, you know, as I mentioned, with, with Jaden Davis, that was one that you knew from the beginning it felt like Carolina landing him was going to be a bit of a long shot. Michigan really did a great job of establishing themselves early in that recruitment. And the thing with him also is, remember, he was a guy that was recruited from his freshman year. He was that good immediately out of the gate that so many teams jumped in and Carolina was not able to really stand out as one of those teams that was on him early, where some of the other guys in state that Carolina will probably go after in these next few years, Carolina would probably be one of the first teams in the uh, to get their names in there and really be able to establish a relationship early with. Um, and, and then I think, you know, even if they have to go outside of the state, you know, Carolina is doing some work. Uh, as we've mentioned in the state of Georgia, that's a state that's huge for this recruiting class. And it looks like Carolina is going to land a few more commitments out of there. Uh, also remember that Carolina, you know, we've seen it now here recently that they are starting to get into the state of Florida. Um, we talked about today, the state of Tennessee is starting to come into play more and more often. Alabama, Carolina has gone there to find recruits as well. So Carolina is starting to spread things out just a little bit in terms of their recruiting fruit, uh, footprint. And that, and I didn't even mention there, you know, they still, of course, have the 757 that can produce quarterbacks as well uh, that they could look at. So they've got a pretty wide footprint that is going to help them when it comes to recruiting their next quarterback. And, you know, you can always go into the transfer portal and find some of these guys as well. Mac Brown's name still does have a pretty strong hold on the, re the recruiting trail and at this point in the transfer portal as well. So I would not be all that concerned just yet, but we'll see if they do. As I mentioned, if K.J. Jackson does not commit to Carolina and he does go to Arkansas, then there might be more of a conversation uh, that has to be had about the state of the quarterback position moving forward. But uh, for now, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast, guys. Make sure you head over to the website, heeltoughblog.com, and check out uh, everything that we've got going on up there. We, of course, have had you covered on all of the recruiting stuff that has been going on. I am going to put up an article that sort of breaks down the three quarterbacks that I think Carolina should consider moving forward um, we'll, uh, in, in the 2024 class, that is. Um, and, and we'll also have you guys covered on Luke Masterson's commitment, Daniel Anderson's commitment. All that stuff is on the website. Of course, we're still covering you throughout spring practice as well Carolina nearing uh the end of spring practice they actually have uh, just a few more practices left on the table before uh, they will be hosting the fans and uh probably a ton of recruits as well for the spring game on April 15th um the goal is to be there but due to work still not sure as to whether or not uh, I will actually be in attendance uh, but regardless we will make sure that we have 
Uh, you guys covered on all of that stuff here as Carolina steams towards the 2023 season. Uh, meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, still a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of uncertainty around the program uh, as Carolina is looking to fill those spots that have been left behind by the six transfers from uh, the team uh, here in the transfer window, Carolina doing work. They've got one back in Paxson Wojcik, but uh, we'll, we'll have you covered uh, on the other guys that they are going to use to fill those spots, as well as what could be a potential reclassification from the 2024 class. Elliot Cadu, uh, who just went off at the Geico Nationals, he was absolutely outstanding there. Um, him, Zayden High, both participated in that event. There is going to be an article up about that for you guys to check out. Uh, and we will, of course, keep you up to date on whether or not Kadu, uh, who is still considering a reclassification at this time, does actually go ahead and go through with it. So, yeah, make sure. HeelToughBlog.com to check out all of that. So that wraps up this edition of the podcast. Make sure you guys rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.